Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Pauline Thorogood. She is president and co-founder of the Holistic Research and Education Foundation. We're going to learn a little bit about with the foundation. We're going to learn about Pauline. We're going to learn her background as a technology executive and an entrepreneur. I always love speaking with folks that are coming outside of the cannabis industry and applying their experience and their skills and their expertise into cannabis. And there's a lot going on here. Uh, and she's got a great story and she's got a great mission for helping people understand understand really what is happening in our bodies with CBD, with cannabis products, so we can really understand like how can we make better decisions, how can we build better products. With that, Pelin, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with the story. How did you go from technology executive entrepreneur to president co-founder of Holistic Research? What was the series of events that happened that got you into cannabis? And there's always a twist, right? There so, is always, yeah, there's uh, always a story. Yeah, I'm an engineer by education and I have been in the technology world uh, with a specific focus on big data and analytics for over 20 years. And um, 
Until about four years ago, I have to be honest, I hadn't even heard of CBD. And I was, of course, familiar with medical cannabis, but it was not something that was part of our life. A little over four years ago, my husband, who's a biotech CEO, had an aortal uh, aneurysm that burst, an aortal dissection, which basically, except for a few percent cases, results in death because of the crazy uh, bleeding. We are definitely one of the fortunate few. And thanks to uh, quick intervention, and some incredible modern medicine and surgeries, uh, three back-to-back open-heart surgeries that oh, helped wow. save my yes, uh, helped yeah. save my husband's life. Which, of course, uh, turned our life upside down slightly, since uh, all of that stuff didn't happen overnight. It was a very tumultuous uh, year, year and a half period for the entire family. During that time, I am very, very thankful for the incredible technology and modern medicine that was able to intervene and solve such a crazy problem. But I was also exposed to, you know pain medication, which I cannot say as many good things about as I can about the amazing Mm -hmm. surgery technique. So it was during that time that I started learning about CBD and uh, cannabis and uh, some of the amazing potential for it to be used for pain medication. That's also when our really good friend, Annie Norda, who is now my uh, business partner as co-founder and chairman of Holistic Research and Education Foundation, came to visit us. He told us about his story with his son, Max, who at the time was 11. He was born with cerebral palsy and had massive spasticity and found out from Andy how CBD, topical CBD at that, was able to make a tremendous difference with uh, Max's spasticity. So much so that he was able to, because of CBD, open his hands for the very first time in his life at age 11, start receiving therapy as able to throw balls, hug his father, put on his clothes, things that he was clearly not able to do before. And his doctors, neurologists were amazed at it. So between the incredible pain management benefits I've seen, what I saw with uh, a kid with massive cerebral palsy, and then of course, being the engineer and analytical person that I am, I start asking a around, found out some very interesting anecdotal stories about how people with brain tumors, cancer, Parkinson's were using cannabis and CBD very effectively. I started getting very curious. I also found out some people who were talking about how they tried it because they heard about it and it gave them no benefit whatsoever, which of course further increased my curiosity. (laughs) That's when uh, Andy and I, after long conversations, uh, decided that uh, given there has not been sufficient research, especially sufficient human-focused research around cannabis, and even the research there was, it was either preclinical and there was some clinical, but it was not focusing sufficiently on the mechanisms of action, that is, why and how cannabis may deliver these benefits. We thought it was time for philanthropy, or as we like to call it, venture philanthropy, Mm. to actually jump in and try to make a difference by asking the right questions and creating partnerships with some amazing researchers, research institutes, etc. Fascinating. And so how did you identify the research that needed to get done? Or how do you go from realizing that we don't know a whole bunch of things to identifying like, what do we need to research or what do we need to focus on in terms of the research? And how do we how from a from an organizational point of view, do you encourage that to happen? Well, it starts with, I think, realizing you got to know what you don't know. And I am not a doctor or healthcare person. I am pretty good at asking questions uh, that I know the answers to. So 
uh, the key was to actually bring together some renowned thought leaders, uh, researchers, scientists, policy people who have been in the space much longer than Andy or I had been, but also bring them into our thinking about the how and the why. And also I start asking them questions about what do we know? How do we know that? What additional research can we do to find out more one way or another? How can we bring in precision medicine into this to answer the question, why it appears to work for these people, but not those people? So it was a lot of conversations with people with very much of a multidisciplinary background, people from uh, with endocrinologists, with neurologists, with uh, pharmacologists. So people, like I said, from the policy side, people who actually had no cannabis background, but perhaps were amazing neuroscientists. And obviously, this is very much of a neuroscience yeah. game as well. So um, like you uh, used in your introduction, I love the fact that we're able to bring in people with great experience in cannabis research, as well as thought leaders in their fields, which didn't really have that much background in cannabis. But as we start talking, they could bring in their thinking into this new field of research. So it has been been very much of a multidisciplinary collaboration. Yeah. And I'm curious what, I guess, what has been the reaction? I mean, as, as you reach out to the medical community, the science community, research community, is everyone fully embracing cannabis and, and cannabis derivatives, you know, in terms of research and application and, and medical use? Or do you run into people that have different opinions or, or different perceptions of, or, or even stigmas, you know, with cannabis? You just get, it's such a loaded term. I'm curious how it's playing out on the research side. Well, what do you think, right? It's, uh, and, <laughs> and it has changed. First of all, when Andy and I decided to embark on this somewhat crazy mission yeah. a few years ago, when I started telling people about it, honestly, people thought I was crazy. Yeah. And, and not to mention, not just because the venture itself is difficult, you know, just because having a startup, especially in medical research is big. Yeah. But they thought, why is someone with, you know, this beautiful white background and big data yeah. and analytic huge field jumping into cannabis? There was a lot of stigma. But I think part of it is uh, when you believe in what you're doing, and you know that you're doing it for the right reasons, you can keep forging forward, that creates its own momentum. And I think that is a beautiful thing. And uh, the several first phone calls I made to many uh, people, uh, they said, sounds interesting. I don't think you can pull this off. So it wasn't easy at all. Yeah. It took uh, those initial first few boulders that we could lift and people joining us yeah. and saying, yes, this is a good idea. And then, of course, the tides start turning. It's still, although a tide start turning is the term, it's not like everybody's jumping on board and saying, yay, let's do this. Yeah. It still requires a lot of persuasion. And uh, you know, showing the data about why we're doing what we're doing and how we're doing it is truly making a difference in the type of information we need for public safety, for understanding efficacy, understanding long-term benefits or long-term risks, mm -hmm. etc. So we're to, we really have to articulate the why behind our mission and how it's actually a different kind of thinking than what has been happening before. So it's still very much an entrepreneurial uh, mm -hmm. venture. And the reason we call it venture philanthropy is because unlike typical philanthropy, our mission, which is about funding uh, cannabis research and leveraging that evidence-based data for education and advocacy, our mission is not about just writing checks and saying, this is a great idea, go do it. It's about being involved. It's about mitigating the risk along the way, incorporating people from, like I said, multiple walks of life, multiple disciplines into each project we work with so that given this is a hard road forward, 
let's collaborate along each way, just like a venture capitalist who invests in a company would actually stay involved on the board and mm-hmm. ensure the company can go through the ups and downs of you know, a tech's uh, you know, crazy life. We're trying to do the same concept from a philanthropic perspective to ensure we have a higher chance of success with our philanthropic mission. Yeah, yeah, it seems seems sort of logical given given the uncertainty and and the, the extent of things that we actually don't know that you'd you'd have to be kind of iterative and, and collaborative in the way that you're working with researchers. Um, I, I'm curious. Tell me about when when you do reach out to people that, you know, scientists, researchers, uh, how, how do you persuade them? And to the extent that they have some reservations or to the extent that they're, um, you know, they're not immediately jumping on board for this, what, what is it, what does that conversation look like? What ends up persuading them? Where, where have you found, you know, kind of the salient arguments to help people really get involved in this cause that, that may be lukewarm in the beginning, but they've been effective in terms of getting involved um, in the research? And it's not even about necessarily being lukewarm, but it's really also about changing the direction of the research. So, for instance, I mean, one of our awesome partners is here in San Diego, UC San Diego, which, as you may know, um, actually has the first center for medicinal cannabis research in the country. Uh, Of course, California being a very early state in that venture. So uh, they had been doing some incredible uh, cannabis related research already. And when we uh, start our conversations with them, you know, over two years ago, two and a half years ago or so, the initial conversations were about doing some great um, clinical research. And the conversations really evolved into the mechanistic side of things, the how, the why, which is when UCSC is an incredible school in terms of its diversity of researchers. We're able to pull in not the awesome clinicians that they already have, but also people from their stem cell side, from the stem cell type work they're doing, from the neuroscience side, from the advanced mathematical modeling of the big data we will be collecting from our bodies to understand these mechanisms. So it moved from what would have been actually a, truly a first-of-its-kind study already as a clinical study of in autism, we end up moving into a really groundbreaking study that is studying the mechanisms of why CBD may be beneficial to autism and leveraging multiple departments and multiple researchers in collaboration to figure out those mechanisms. And what's even better is we're looking at autism, not as just a singular disease, but as a neurodevelopmental disease. So as we are learning about autism, we're going to be able to have those findings, especially our mechanisms, to be able to apply to many other neurodevelopmental mental and potentially neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. So we're really trying to think big. And I think UCSC absolutely stepped up and jumped in and brought in some incredible people. Yeah. And are you primarily, I guess, what guides your funding and partnership strategies? Are you looking at conditions that can potentially be treated? Or are you looking more at kind of just understanding the the sort of mechanical science of how CBD works? I mean, what's kind of your thesis or what guides your decisions in terms of what you fund, how you fund, who you fund? Well, one of the main areas is, of course, populations impacted. So it's Mm -hmm. looking at um, the size of a population that is impacted by a specific condition. That could be insomnia, that could be chronic pain, that could be neurodevelopmental diseases, Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. etc. So uh, looking at that, and also, you know, this is not an investigational new drug, even though sometimes you have to have (laughs) these IND applications. I mean, I, I just have to laugh at that. I like to call it, this is the largest uncontrolled experiment on humans we've ever done. There are tens of millions of people taking this. So 
I would like to learn from the actual users. I mean, we have so much data out there. So learning from the users to see anecdotally, at least, or mm-hmm. based on perhaps some surveys, etc., what appears to be working so that we put our time, thinking and money into areas where there is higher potential and then start asking the questions based on how the the social usage has been and what appears to be working, the dosages, the frequencies, the types of products, CBD alone or full cannabis, etc., mm-hmm. so that the research can be the most impactful it can be. Again, it's not an it's not an investigation new drug. Let's learn from what's what people are using it for. Let's make sure it's impacting broad populations. Let's hopefully learn because of the mechanisms, how it can, what we learn can be applied to other nearby conditions so that we can go further, faster together. Yeah. I'm curious as you've put this together, I, I know, you know, d- just like a business, I know philanthropy can be, can have its own challenges. What have been some of the, the hurdles that you've run into either internal or external or just kind of, you know, from an industry point of view and how have you kind of pushed through to, I mean, give give us some sense of how this has played out for you and, and what you've had to grapple with. Well, definitely tons of challenges. So yeah. that, that would take an entire podcast on its own. <laughs> but to me, the most bizarre challenge of all is yeah. not because we can't raise enough funds or we don't have enough research or enough technology. Yeah. It's the fact that when tens of millions of people are using product, buying it from dispensaries, buying it from you know the next door CBD shop on their street, yeah. we are unable to procure research grade CBD or cannabis that is approved by the government, specifically by the FDA, to be able to use for research. We have very limited sources. So to me, that is very illogical. As a country, as a government, we're talking about we need more data on safety and efficacy means we need more research on it. And we should be doing the research with the products people are taking, obviously the ones that are tested to be clean and effective. Mm -hmm. But it's been very, very difficult to go there. So I'd say our number one challenge is the fact that it's very difficult to have access to product, except for a very few FDA approved drugs, such as Epidiolex or mm-hmm. Marinol, et cetera. And we don't have access to whole plant uh, products. Yeah. And as you can imagine, we'd like to be able to test the entourage effect or the so-called entourage effect yeah. that people are taking whole plant products, yet it's very, very difficult for us to do research on it. So to me, that is the that's the biggest barrier and it's also the most illogical barrier. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I guess, how do you get it? I mean, given that it's federally legal, you know, highly restrictive in terms of, of being able to produce the product, use the product for, for federal use. How do you actually go about getting product other than the, 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 the two that you mentioned? What What is the, I guess I don't even understand how the product, uh, how that process works from a federal FDA it's, point of view. It's very, very difficult, like I said. So uh, first of all, we don't do it. We are a federally approved nonprofit and we cannot touch product yeah. by law. Yeah. But we, of course, work with likes of UCSD or University mm-hmm. of Utah, okay, UCLA, Columbia University, some amazing you know universities out there. Mm-hmm. They have Schedule One licenses. They have researchers who work with multiple, you know, outside of cannabis, just Mm -hmm. because research obviously is happening across many of these. So they are the ones who have to identify and procure. It's just that the sources, even with the ability of those people to source it, since they have the credentials, it's still very difficult. And uh, and I think that's something that needs to change if we want to learn more about how this can be both beneficial and, in some cases, may have long-term health risks for at least some people. Yeah, yeah. And so what? 
what is your, from a policy regulation point of view, what's top of your list for things to change, you know, either at the small scale or a large scale? I think uh, number one for me is collaborating with the FDA, at least getting approval on some FDA approved research grade. I'm not suggesting these products are approved federally for consumption for consumers, but at yeah. least federally approved for research grade. X number of products that we know that some people are using. So these are not things that are just prescribed, such as epidolics. These are yeah. not just things that can be only procured from the University of Mississippi, which is the only federally approved source of some of these products. But mm-hmm. broader set of products that the FDA feels are what they say they are, they're clean, their potencies as indicated, etc., so that we can actually mimic what's being used in the field. We can look at it in terms of different doses, perhaps higher doses to, again, look at longitudinal risks and benefits. But I'd like to be able to mimic what's being done in the field by the consumers because I think that's the kind of research we need. Yeah. And and what does that process look like? I mean, the FDA has a process for being able to authorize and and approve these or uh, is this? We're in conversations. They're aware of our situation and uh, we're in conversations with them. So um, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get there. But it's, you know, as you can imagine, it's a conversation. It's a process. (laughs) And a conversation may be slightly slightly euphemistic, it sounds like. (laughs) Tell us about the research that you're actually doing. What, What are some of the things that you have in flight right now? The things you're studying, anything that you're learning off hand, where are you with actually de- sort of developing some of these things and what are some of the conclusions that you've been able to draw so far? Sure. So uh, I mentioned UCSD and uh, CBD uh, for autism and I'll talk about that a little bit more later because that's a really, really cool study. Uh, yeah. But I want to also point out a very exciting study that's underway at the University of Utah. That one is not on a specific condition. It's actually where uh, what we're doing is focusing on understanding personalized brain effects of cannabinoids on healthy individuals because we need a baseline case to be able to use against multiple disease conditions that Mm. hasn't been done before so what we're trying to do is using both PET and fMRI scanning to have that both temporal and spatial understanding of what's happening in the brain and doing a full double blind placebo controlled clinical study to see when you know somewhat healthy people like normal people are taking this what's actually happening in their brain with in terms of pain stress uh, changes in cognition changes in executive function appetite etc different parts of their brain is lighting up and or not and are they increased dependencies uh, between their various brain functions because of some of these products and we're comparing CBD to THC to be able to understand the differences and perhaps uh, most importantly we're also taking blood samples from each of these, you know, participants to be able to look at any neuroinflammatory markers they may have to see if uh, X percentage of the study population is reacting a certain way, what do they have in common genetically or from an inflammatory market perspective so that that could be a predictor to them benefiting or not benefiting or their executive function being impaired or not impaired, etc. So we're trying to really understand uh, that personalized medicine or precision medicine approach by looking at it from multiple perspectives. So very, very exciting study. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because it it seems like you've got two variables, two big variables that at play here. I mean, one one is the obviously the should the genetic or the individualized you know patients and their particular responses to these chemicals and to the um, molecules, and then then you've got the fact that you're dealing with a botanical. You know, it's a plant. Yes. You're not it's not fabricated in the lab. I mean, you can fabricate in the lab, but you're not. You know, generally most people are using 
using grown product, which is going to have variation and it's going to have, you know, underlying sort of genetic variation, but not actually variation in terms of the production process and the actual modalities and stuff. I guess, is there a big matrix that you have on the wall that you're looking at all the different combinations of this? Or how do you kind of deal with that diversity, but also not create, you know, a research plan that's so complicated it will take forever to execute on? Right. And of course, I mean, there are so many permutations per what you just said. We cannot possibly look at all of them. Yeah. So we have identified, as I, as I mentioned, a comparison of CBD to THC, okay. looking at it from a spatial and temporal perspective and looking at specific inflammatory markers that we believe to be that could be potential predictors to yeah. see if they are indeed predictors or not. So you end up having to, it's still a multivariable analysis, yeah. but it is not an infinite number of multi you know, variables. You still have to look at, based on what we know, how can we create the right wrapper around it so that we ask good questions, we get some new information, we can validate it, but it can be finished within a, you know, a reasonable time frame as well as a reasonable reasonable cost. Yeah. Now, is this is this where your data science background starts to <laughs> starts to come into play? I mean, how much how much have you been able to apply your professional background and expertise and knowledge around data and data science to this particular problem of you know cannabis and cannabis use and cannabis research? I say a lot. I mean, I'm not the one personally doing the analysis, and mm-hmm. I wasn't as since I was running companies, I stopped after doing the analysis myself. <laughs> but the questioning itself, the thinking itself, I'd say is very very valuable. So the conversations we're having, the types of questions we're looking to ask, I that's probably most fun I have is how can we look at this mass of data and slice and dice it in different ways to find patterns, to find new insights. Because at the end of the day, you have to do it the right way because there's a saying in statistics, you can slice and dice the data in a way that you can always find the result you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, if you exactly. That, that yeah. is clearly not our intention. We're trying to be objective. We're trying to actually get to the truth and do it in a wise way. So I, I love being part of it. I'm also learning so much from the, oh, you know, sure. as you can imagine, the incredible people that we're working with. We also have the, um, you know, fortune of uh, collaborating with the UC Institute of Predictive Technology, which is a UC wide institute that deals with big data. It's phenomenal to have those people thinking in this because, yeah, so yeah. there are some really great people, both from their medical backgrounds, but also their data backgrounds that bring in a lot of thought and insight into this. We look at existing ways of measuring, for instance, sleep efficacy before we do a sleep set to make sure that we are comparing our findings to existing norms, mm, both to yeah. have something to compare to, as well as to even perhaps question those. So in all cases, you may have multiple purposes in uh, using the models, but but we're bringing a lot of uh, new thinking into it. I'm diving in and throwing my thoughts, you know, never assuming that is the right thought, but at least throwing my thoughts and questions into the mix as we all forge forward together. Yeah. yeah. And um, what do you want to do with all the information, all the insights? So you, you do all this research, you get all this data, you develop all these insights, you, you develop better understanding. How do you, I guess, practically, how do you plan on using it? And then at a bigger picture, how do you hope to impact the industry and the overall sort of cannabis market? It's uh, like uh, many uh, cycles of industries I've even personally been part of, such as the social media boom and bust. I mean, there is a crazy fad. There's a crazy boom happening in with cannabis and CBD. And uh, if we don't have sufficient data, it could be a bust afterwards because it's not going to work for some people. And those naysayers may indicate there's not a there there. What I really would like to do is have a sustainable growth in the industry based on fact. Indicate what can cannabis, CBD, CBN, C4, 
EBG, THC, etc. might be beneficial for, for which people? Figure out if they're the right blood tests that can be incorporated as predictors as to whether you're the right target for this treatment or not. Bring in uh, cannabis into the medical practice with the right education so our doctors, our medical schools have the right knowledge. So when somebody is looking at potential treatment options, this is actually offered with the right information, with the right background as one of those potential treatment options. One thing I didn't mention as part of my intro is my background is I'm, I, I was born and raised in Istanbul. I was definitely you know, raised with a lot of modern medicine, but also with plant medicine from my yeah. grandparents. So I believe in the power of that. But instead of just trusting that plant medicine works, I'd love to be able to tie the two together, bring in modern medicine to understand why plant medicine works and bring that into the fold of how modern medicine is thinking much more holistically than that's holistic with a W because I want to look at the whole plant. I want to look at the whole body. Yeah. That way we can actually incorporate the different types of medicines, different types of treatment options for different conditions and do that with a precision medicine mindset since obviously not everything's going to work for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you see, I'm just kind of curious that you mentioned some of the international stuff. Do you see opportunities or are you taking advantage of opportunities of collaborating with researchers in other countries, uh, you know, other governments? Governments. What's the, I guess, what's your take on kind of the international research community relative to cannabis? I think there's some phenomenal opportunities and uh, we are putting our toe in the water. We haven't done anything formal yet, but mm-hmm. Israel is one of those countries where they have done some phenomenal research. So yeah. if nothing else, we've read a lot of it and we've been informed by it in terms of uh, doing some of the research thinking and decisions that we're doing in the U.S. by it. So I feel like Israel is a great model. And of course, Canada's, you know, in some ways ahead of us and we're learning a lot from from the types of products, the types of research they're doing as well. And there's several other countries as well, UK, Spain. So in some ways, the US has been behind because this has been highly regulated substance. And uh, so it is important for us to collaborate with other countries where there might be more data, especially more human data associated with um, the benefits and risks of these products. Yeah, well, you know, much needed area. I think everyone in the industry is realizing that the dearth of real good knowledge and research and, and studies on really what's going on in sort of the body with cannabis and understanding how the modes work and understanding the impact is hampering us, I think, in many ways. And so I think it's great that you're focusing on that. If people want to find out more about you, about Holistic Research and Education Foundation, what's the best way to get that information? Well, our website, and that is holistic with a W, um, dot org. So we are a 501c3, like I mentioned, federally approved 501c3. So holistic.org is our website. I have an incredible board of directors and officers who are fully committed to this and our backgrounds are there. We have an incredible medical advisory committee that includes some unbelievable researchers, scientists, policymakers, et cetera, from across the country with diverse backgrounds. That's all included there. So you can get a sense of who we are, what we're working on. We have some great blog posts that you can read about in terms of both our thoughts as well as the research we're working on. That's, of course, everything is always being updated. So that's a fantastic resource. That's right, Pauline. Thank you so much for taking the time today. A really important part of this industry, and I appreciate the work that you're doing, and I appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. Thank you so much for including me. I I sincerely appreciate your time as well. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.